Handle on the news. Handle on the news. One of the things I said, I fired Bill Handle. Well, I turned out to do the right thing because you look at all of the things that he's done and the lies. Turned out I did the right thing. And now, here's Bill Handle. How absolutely perfect is that? Uh, we start the show and I listen to these uh, various introductions, which incidentally, for those of you out in radio land, God, I love that. For those of you in Radio Land, uh, I hear them the same time you do. Uh, speaking about Radio Land, uh, good morning, Jennifer Jones Lee. Hello, sir. Uh, and God, I love everybody. I want to take you home with me. What other cliche uh, <laughs> can I use? By the way, I have no desire to take you home with me. I know you do. I know. I love you all. Uh, fine. Great. All right. You're trying to figure out how to get the people who already are home with you out of there. That's so true. We have, we have uh, guests uh, that have been with us the last couple of nights. Uh, Mar- Marjorie has two best friends. One of them lives in Seattle where my dog went. And so they come to visit every year and they spend a few days. So last night we were saying goodbye and uh, won't see them again for, you know, till next year when they do their whole circuit of visiting all their friends. And uh, there was the big hug, which uh, leave me alone hug. And so we'll see you next year. Can't. Wait, I'm counting the days. Okay. So He's I marking them. his calendar with every day marks it off with a frowny face. Yeah, and I the know. face gets it gets frownier yeah. the That's closer Wayne. it gets. Wayne and Alex and John Ramirez. Alter boy John. Okay. Uh what do we have going today? Big stories. Uh Southwest. We have some more information about uh, the Southwest airplane where the engine exploded. Also, just a, 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 we'll spend a minute or two talking about this. Everybody is describing the pilot as a hero. And I just don't get it. That's what the pilot is trained to do. She did her job. She did it well, but she's a hero for doing her job well. I mean, really. I, I, I don't get the word hero bandied about constantly. This is a theme with you. It is, because everybody is a hero. You're in the service, and you work in the barber shop, cutting officers' hair. You're a hero. Wow. I think if you is this been on about that, plane that, that you day. didn't get that Superman Halloween costume when you no, were seven no no I, no no it's just it's uh, it's just uh, the the point I'm making is that uh, it diminishes real heroes' efforts. That's what it does. Well, I think if you'd been on that plane that day, you might have no. A I would have been no. Difference. I would I would have thanked her. Okay. Thank you for doing your job. You're you you're a well qualified pilot. You saved my life because you did your job and you did it well. And somehow that becomes you're a hero for, uh, I don't get it. I really don't. Uh, but we just, uh, it's lost its meaning. That's all. It's just lost its meaning. You receive a medal. Okay, you're a military person. You receive a medal. Good conduct medal. It's equivalent to the uh, uh, Congressional Medal of Honor. Same thing. doesn't matter. A medal's a medal. Right? A hero's a hero. You do your job. A cop running into a burning building to save a life, that's a hero. 
How much longer are you going to do this rant? I only ask because there's I, a cool song that we could drop in okay, that would be mind. hilarious right I'm now. Ranting, I'm ranting. That's but if fine. we don't have enough time to go pull it up, yeah, then my, I don't want to bother. It's just one of my pet peeves. That's all. I just I, I, I have certain pet peeves. Like everybody should be an organ donor. John, from now on, like have available The Strangler's No More Heroes, just in case this happens again. Mm. There's just certain peeves, like the pastrami at Brent's. Uh, it's near and dear to my heart. I mean, it's something very important. All right, let's just do it, guys. All right, fine. Wait, I'm, no, let's not. What does the pastrami at Brent's have to do with you feeling like the pilot who landed the plane is not a hero? And because, how is that a pet peeve? Uh, it's it's something that's just near and dear to my heart. Uh, the peeves I have are very important to me. Oh, 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 I see. Your, your need to piddle all over people being called heroes... Uh, is important to you the way that Brent's pastrami is also important to the you. The way wow. I feel about organ donation. Wow. Okay, very, very important to me. See, this is why he gets the big money, because I don't think there are any of us who you could have had, connected you those had that three things. Up by now. Lead story. Oh, we're start. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we are starting. Poor John. Lead story. West Covina. story about a cop uh, stopping a couple at a traffic stop, and she's videoing the whole thing. Uh, he is uh, on probation. He has had all kinds of problems. The cop runs their license, and she's videoing it according to this story, and the cop is not being particularly appropriate, is yelling at her, give me the phone, stop videoing, stop videoing. Uh, and well, he tells her she can video, but he says she has to put the phone down because he wants to search the car. That's why can't she video that happening? Well, she won't. Here's the thing. So she's sitting in the car. So the boyfriend's out in there. They've already I don't know if they're frisking him or what they're doing. You can't see. And she's sitting there videoing him. And he's saying, put the phone down. I want to search the car. And she's like, no, I have every right to video this. She does have every right. Why now, doesn't he just ask her to he, step out of the car? Exactly she can it. take her phone see, with putting her. the phone down is not a legitimate request. Leaving the car. Excuse me. You have to get out of the car. I want to search the car if there's probable cause. That's legitimate. But she can video all day long. And that's going to be the problem. And then, of course, she videos uh, her husband uh, being put to the ground and uh, not being. She, she's arguing that the cop is not treating her well. But the issue here is the videoing. And police just don't like pe- police who are not my take on this. I have no idea. I've never been involved with one of these. Uh, it's just there's an inherent, uh, just uh, an inherent desire not to be videoed whenever you're in altercation. I I don't want to be videoed if I'm screaming at somebody. No, you actually probably would like it. Uh, that's probably true. All right. Let's We've got on. the video up, by the way. KFIAM640.com, keyword wake-up call if yeah. you want to see it. Okay, now a tough one. Okay, so a CHP officer is being accused of sexually assaulting a woman that he pulled over during a traffic stop. That's the sound of the police. But then, according to the woman... This goes a little bit further. She says this actually happened twice. She says it was once during the traffic stop and later when the officer went to her home. Yeah, I, this is so, if it's true, this is so outrageous. It makes no sense because also uh, this happened with her husband there and he is groping her. I mean, this is such a bizarre story uh, that, see, I wish this had been videoed. 
Well, her lawyer says there was some kind of a camera at the apartment complex and the officer is on that camera. And so if, that that would, if that's case, true, it would at least prove he went to where she lived. Which he should not have ever done and would lend credence to uh, her story. Let's take a break. We'll be back and we'll go through these stories and I'm going to stop ranting about heroes, uh, at least for a little while. But let's just do one more, one segment where I don't rant. Also coming up after the break, uh, you're a chance to win $1,000. Brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you have missing teeth, call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. Okay, Jim. No more heroes anymore. No more heroes anymore. All right, Handle here and uh, the morning crew. On a uh, Thursday, big stories that we're covering today. Of course, we're finding more and more about that airplane and the engine that happened, uh, what happened with the exploding engine on the Southwest flight. And uh, some stories about Puerto Rico. I'm going to share with you a little bit later on. Okay, back we go. Uh, First, your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. The winner is notified with a phone call, which you must answer. Like Denman in La Habra did, he won $1,000. Next chance to win, next hour. All right, back we go. More handle on the news. Jennifer Jones, Lee, Wayne Resnick, and me. Man armed with a knife is shot by a police officer, but in the way that people always wish police officers would shoot people. It starts with the people are calling the cops and the fire department. There's a guy waving a knife. He's stabbing himself. They come on the scene. They do the uh, non-lethal beanbag gun. Doesn't work. Then the guy rushes a motorcycle officer. Who shoots him in the hand. Now, I want to make a point about that. Is What he did is he shot him and missed. Because you ain't, you never go for the hand. You go for the torso. And uh, so now this cop is brilliant and he uh, non-lethal because he shot him in the hand. And I think uh, probably between the bones. So it was a through and through because he's that good of a shot. And uh, there you go. And the guy survived, and he's there. He still he kept getting up. I know. They did another beanbag shotgun. That didn't work. They tased the guy, and I think finally, after the tasing, that had the cumulative effect was enough. They got him into custody. Right. Wayne, the story that you were talking about yesterday, those three bodies found inside that Jeep in Burbank right yeah. down the street here, yeah. and you mentioned they might be the guys from Bakersfield. It looks even more like you were right. Three dead bodies. Uh, I I love this quote uh, from uh, Sergeant Derek Green. Uh, The case is being treated as a homicide investigation, and he called the deaths highly suspicious. Three guys dead in a parking lot, in a car, next to an Ikea, and somehow that's highly suspicious. Okay. Thank you for that. Boy, I wanted to go to that press conference. I learned a lot from that one. <laughs> hey, there's a new class action lawsuit against a private company that runs one of the country's biggest immigration detention centers. They say slave labor. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. It actually is slave labor, if you think about it. A buck a day, $2 a day for an eight-hour shift. But that's all pursuant to law. 
Right. It, I don't know that it's actionable. No, ultimately, it's, they, the, it's it is uh, the law allows this to happen. And someone is they're arguing, hey, this is voluntarily voluntary. No one has to work. Now, the argument is that they pressured these guys into working. And that's a different uh, that's a totally different argument. They also say that they don't give them the basics that normally a, yeah, a that, detention center or a prison would give you like soap or food. And that's what kind of makes them have to do the work to have anything I, at all. And, and I, I get that. But on the other hand, they're saying, but it's all voluntary. And it is. I, the, I'm sure that prisoners line up to get jobs as opposed to sitting in their cells 24 hours a day. So uh, the issue seems to be uh, the, uh, the forced issue about it and uh, not allowing the basics unless you're working. But the argument, this is slave labor and they don't even get minimum wage is a crock. Minimum wage is set by the government and the government can exempt for example, Congress exempt itself from minimum wage. Did you know that? I did not. Meaning yes. if you, like a, you a congressman Congress. can hire you, they yep. don't have to pay you minimum wage. That is correct. Wow. Interns, paid interns, don't get, uh, they can, they're exempt from minimum wage. That's what Congress does. It can exempt itself from anything. Well, I feel like it was just last week that we were talking about that frat at Cal, uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo that had the black face and they were all in trouble. Well, now there have been racist flyers found on campus. Did you know that you live in a racist Yeah, it's, it, this is pretty tough. Yeah. I'm I mean, looking at one uh, that's a map of the world, skin tone map, IQ map, showing the African countries uh, at the lowest, uh, lowest point, uh, rape map, showing African countries at the highest level of rape. And homicide map showing, of course, African countries as uh, the highest level. Yeah, it's pretty rapist. I'm uh, pretty rapist. It's pretty racist, to say the least. Yeah, they said they found apparently a professor saw a racial slur against African Americans on one wall, which then prompted him to sort of start walking around the campus, and that's where he starts seeing right. all of these flyers all that right. have been posted. Let's take a break. Come back because there's a, a. If you're black, you get a free Starbucks coffee maybe not yeah, really ish. well that's hold on it just look at the coupon well if it's on the internet it must be true we'll go i'll be right back and then there are some variations of that i want to share with you all right excuse me kfi handle here it is a thursday morning and let's finish handle on the news jennifer jones lee Wayne Resnick and me. Well, if you saw a coupon online entitling you to a free cup of coffee if you're African American from Starbucks, it's fake. I hate Starbucks, Starbucks, Starbucks. It's but it's a hoax that you would think uh, flows uh, and it's plausible because here you have the CEO flying out to meet with the two African American men, where the video shows them uh, being thrown out or being arrested. Uh, you have the closure of 8,000 Starbucks uh, next month uh, for an afternoon. Every single company-owned store, uh, and there, there's going to be bias training. And so the next logical step, and if you're African-American, to pay some small reparation, here's a free coffee, uh, here's a free coupon for coffee. But it can only be black coffee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not allowed no. to put cream in it. Oh, no. Anyway, it's not true. You are on fire this morning. Thank you. 
Dick Sporting Goods says all those assault-style weapons that we didn't sell before we decided to stop selling them, we're just going to destroy them all. No guns movement is actually gaining, uh, obviously, some legs. I think it's slowed down a bit, but there is, uh, for the first time, what the high school shooting in Parkland did is really got the movement started. And tomorrow is the big, tomorrow's the big, big supposed walkout day where the kids are supposed to walk out. They had the March for Our Lives, but this is the big one tomorrow. But we'll see if it really, as you said, if it continues to have legs. Can't dicks donate these guns to police agencies? That's what or... I wondered. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. But I don't know. If Something? Po- I don't know if police agencies, uh, number one, are these military style? Do they meet the requirements of the police agencies? And two, Police agencies buy a certain uh, a certain gun. I mean, it's not as if they have forty six different guns. And here you go. Here's one. Here's another one. And they're very careful in selecting their gun. It's a bid process, a testing process. So I can't imagine they would. Uh, but uh, still, it's. Uh, I have always wondered about this walkout business. We'll show you by walking out. We won't go to school. The school board doesn't get the money for the day and we're not learning that day. And that's our, uh, that's what we do to demonstrate. I've always, why don't you just have a walkout after school? That's a, exactly. Why don't you just I have totally a big demonstration? And I want to know how many, what percentage of those kids actually know why they're walking out, actually know what they're supposed to be protesting that day versus how many of them yep. are like, sweet, we can get out of class today. Well, like him or hate him, David Hogg, one of the Parkland survivors, seems to at least know why he's doing what he's doing. And his latest act of activism uh, is encouraging people to boycott two very big investment management companies, BlackRock and the Vanguard Group, because they have a lot of holdings in In gun companies. Gun companies, and they're sort of, and so now we're divesting, much like uh, a lot of uh, activists. Uh, want to divest anything involved with Israeli companies uh, because of the Israeli occupation, quote, that's in quotes of uh, the West Bank. Uh, and uh, also, do you remember, there was a lot uh, during the apartheid era in South Africa. Uh, there was a tremendous pressure to withdraw and disinvest any kind of money, assets, with companies that were doing business with South Africa. Well, this next story, if you are selling your home in Southern California, congratulations. If you're trying to buy a home in Southern California, you're screwed. Loads of money. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, uh, we're going to, well, a there's. Ten and a half year high? Yeah. For housing prices? There's wow. A, there's a house down the street from us uh, that we were passing yesterday. And uh, Marjorie likes to call in the neighborhood to find out what houses are listed for. That's just one of her hobbies. And so she told me the price, and I went, no, no, probably 50% more than I would have guessed. Wow. And that would, and that's me being generous. I mean, stunner as to the house, housing crisis here. Housing crisis means uh, so few homes available and how expensive it's gotten all through California. Now, you were saying uh, selling a house is a good deal, but you can't live here. You have to then move to Peoria. Right. Or some people are selling, keeping that money and renting. Right. Even though rents are high, they still say, hey, we're going to make so much money off of our homes. For sure. We'll hmm. just sell. 
And, then, and, uh, and there's this, this can be this problem can be illustrated no better than the case of a little house up in Fremont, California. There are holes in the roof. The pipes are filled with mildew. It's basically been condemned. And it just sold for $1.23 million, now, which we know is... That's, it's, they're buying it for land value. Right. And as a matter of fact, it's worth less with the house on it than it is if it were just Probably. a piece of land. Because yeah. uh, just a piece of dirt, they don't have to demolish, they don't have to tear out, they don't have to deal with a foundation, none of that. But it goes to show you, uh, and it depends on what the property values are in that neighborhood. So they're talking about building a, uh, what, a home at about... 4,000 square feet, and my guess, uh, because my brother is a developer, and I, I know uh, sort of the equation here, $1.3 million uh, for the house uh, to build it, let's say $200 uh, dollars a foot, uh, two fifty. there's another million, so you're $2.3 million into it. I'll bet you the house goes for at least three, if not $3.2 million. Insane. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And it's not like... Fremont's like, and this is not disparaging the place, but it's not like it's a destination. Like everybody goes, wow, let's move to Fremont. No, it's not even Silicon Valley. It's like Silicon Valley adjacent. But that just goes to show you. Well, Karen McDougal now can talk openly about the president. I was attracted to him, yeah. He's he's got great posture. and Karen, when you don't pick up the phone. I think about the possibility that aliens have taken you and I would have oh. to Well, the ex-Playboy model, Karen McDougal, finally reached a settlement with the National Enquirer's publisher that releases her from an agreement that stopped her from talking about her alleged affair with Donald Trump in 2006 and But she did it. She discussed every minute of it. This is what, what I don't understand. What more is she going to add to that story? Well, I guess now she doesn't have to worry about getting sued by them. That makes sense. And they get 10% of uh, up to 75 grand of any profits she makes going forward telling her story. But even when she told her story, uh, the uh, company, the National Enquirer company, the holding company, said we're not going to sue her. She's free to talk to anybody she wants. So this is new. And this says, okay, but if you do talk and you make money out of talking, breaching your agreement, this is the amount of money that we get. All right, let's take a break, come back, and we'll finish up Handle on the News on a Thursday. KFI, and there is... All right, Handle here on a Thursday morning uh, as uh, we finish up Handle on the News. Uh, coming up, uh, lawsuit against the anti-sanctuary laws. That's now kicking in. And uh, also uh, a story about Puerto Rico and more information on that Southwest uh, airline engine exploding and, and the plane landing in Philadelphia. All right, let's finish it up. This, this is a tale of a man named Joseph Poland from Hazleton, Pennsylvania, who is the biggest creep I can imagine right now. He meticulously scoured the Internet compiling photographs and information on underage kids and then used them to create collages and write extremely lewd letters to and sent them to these kids all over the world. But there is a tremendous silver lining here. Uh, The good news is how this ended. And that is there was a tip 
Uh, officers arrive at his home. He comes out firing a gun. Five-hour standoff, and he was kind enough to take himself out of the gene pool. Blew his own brains out, which is the way they all should do this. Saves us money. Saves us a jail cell Absolutely. for somebody else. Yep. Hey, you know, if you're going to be a criminal, you might as well be a criminal that has a cool nickname like the Cocaine Babe. Take a whip, take a whip, take a whip on me. Everybody take a whip on me. Hey, hey, baby, take a whip on me. She was this woman, Melina Roberts, Roberts, who was, uh, she pleaded guilty to smuggling uh, 209 pounds of cocaine into the Sydney Harbor in 2016 after this weeks-long cruise that she had basically Instagrammed all of her exotic drug smuggling. Oh, it was her drug smuggling specifically that she Instagrammed or yes. just her vacation? Part, I think part I think part of the drug smuggling in addition to the, well, the and, there were, and the authorities, of course, were showing up as she docked. And uh, congratulations. They, they, excuse me, they had so much cocaine in their suitcases, the authorities said they didn't even have enough room for clean underwear or spare toothbrushes. A three-year-old shoots... A pregnant mother, and now a man is in custody. And this, look, this guy uh, in this story is the poster child for tougher gun laws. This is yeah. the kind of guy who gives um, anti-gun people a foot in the door. They give, he gives them ammunition. Yes. Um, here's what happens. So the, you got the I guy, his girlfriend who has uh, a three-year-old and a one-year-old and is pregnant, and they... Stop outside this um, thrift store called Plato's Closet. And he goes inside. So the, the woman's sitting in the car, kids and three-year-olds in the backseat. Anyway, he leaves his 9 millimeter pistol just sitting there on the console. The three-year-old grabs it, fires it, yeah. bullet goes through the seat into the her mother. shoulder. That's uh, Luckily, very lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. Not in her abdomen, which would have, uh, of course, terminated uh, the pregnancy, and uh, not in her head, which would have terminated her and the pregnancy. Yeah, and the, and there was a one-year-old in the car as well, so he yeah. is in a bunch of trouble. Yeah, and the kids are... As so, well he should be. The kids are so gone uh, into Child Protective Services. Man, I have used a lot of excuses to get out of jury duty, but I've never used my age as an excuse. Because hell, hell is for children. Apparently I should have. should have claimed to be a four-year-old. Yeah, except this is a real four-year-old <laughs> who got a jury summons. Poor little kid. His name's Damian Schrader. What's funny is his mom says, I've never even got a jury summons, but the kid gets one. And so they take him down to the court, which I think is great. And the court just laughs and tells the kid, hey, you know what? In, in 15 or so years, you'd make a fantastic juror. Don't they take this off of voter rolls? They also take it off of DMV okay. records and certain tax documents. Okay, so what so happened here? He's had to pay taxes or he has a license or he has voted or all three. No, what happened is his... Uh, great-grandmother bought him some stocks. So the stocks are in his name. And there's some document that you file about the taxes. Like, right. And that's where they pulled his name from. I like that he was, you know, you have to have a specific excuse to be excused. He has a specific excuse that he couldn't serve. He had to go to preschool that day. <laughs> that's pretty strong. That's in the court record. All right, let's finish it up with one more. Oh, that finishes the pile, which is Oh, kind of fun. wow. So there's this four-year-old boy up in Canada with behavioral problems. The people at his school said 
that he hides under the tables. He growls at people. And uh, they took him to one of these uh, naturopaths, naturopathic treatment people. And uh, she used saliva from a rabid dog. Hell is for children. Which is not illegal in Canada to do. Isn't that crazy? First of all, I have a question. Where do you get hold of a rabid dog? I mean, do you put an ad, Craigslist, need rabid dog? And then who I have holds a question. Down and gets yeah, the I was going to say, how do you extract the saliva from a rabid dog? Yeah. Or do you just wait till they drool all over your floor and scoop it up? Anyway, there's a big backlash against this uh, treatment provider, Anke Zimmerman, for doing this. And uh, I mean, and uh, I guess at this writing, uh, this kid is not yet uh, co- contracted uh, rabies. No, she claims in a blog post that within like 20 minutes of giving him this stuff, he, he was all down. better. Yeah, yeah, calm down. Everything was fine. Okay, saliva from a rabid dog. Yeah, why not? Incidentally, that's real medicine to people on the internet. You know that. A doctor saying this is crazy, that's not real medicine. A doctor who's gone to medical school is not real medicine. Marjorie's into all this alternative stuff. You know, she loves alternative medicine. Matter of fact, uh, if uh, if a doctor that she go, goes to doesn't have a bone through his nose, she's just not interested. Actually, that's not true. But she does love alternative stuff, nutrient nutrient. Uh, uh, supplements and uh, nutritional products and all of that. I mean, as come home, there's another box of stuff. That's uh, very funny. All right, uh, coming up, uh, lawsuit against the anti-sanctuary laws. This is really breaking down. You talk about polarization. The sanctuary state business has really polarized counties, cities, the state. And I'll share the latest with you when we come back. KFI AM 640. <laughs> Thursday morning, Handle and the morning crew. Some of the big stories that we are covering, uh, the Southwest airplane incident, the uh, the engine explodes, some news on that. We're getting uh, as some whys here. And then uh, the president is not confirming or denying that uh, he's going to fire Robert Mueller and Deputy Attorney General Rod, Rosen, uh, Rod Rosenstein. Doesn't, he won't say, but... The Pittsburgh Police Department has already ordered its detectives to bring riot gear to work in anticipation of potential. Oh, potential? There will be riots. All right. Now I want to give you uh, the latest episode in the Los Alamitos anti-sanctuary law. Uh, This was an ordinance passed by Los uh, Los Alamitos. And this was the first city to move away from uh, the sanctuary state issue. California, being a pretty blue state, jumped in and became a sanctuary state. Now, you knew San Francisco was already going to become one, and certainly Los Angeles, even though they don't call themselves a sanctuary city. San Francisco did. I mean, outright called itself a sanctuary city. And there are huge issues as to... Uh, first of all, the Trump administration saying that if you are sanctuary city, we are not going to give you grants, for example, to the police department that we give other police departments. We're going to withdraw those grants because you are now not cooperating with the feds, dealing with ICE, of course, uh, giving information to ICE. 
or turning over, which now is out of the question, turning over uh, inmates who are illegal aliens when their sentences are, are, are over. Do you know that they actually used to do that? I mean, it's ancient history now, but it wasn't too long ago when someone who uh, was an illegal alien had been convicted, had done time, and upon his release, the jail, the prison, turned him over to ICE. Here, have an illegal alien. Would you like, you want to supersize that to two illegal aliens? It's only 50 cents more. So, uh, of course, those days are gone, and it's gone to the point where uh, California and cities and counties have uh, joined in with the, uh, uh, the or did before the, the uh, California did, but uh, sanctuary cities concept. And that is not only do you not turn over, of course, any prisoners, uh, even out of jail, for example, uh, that are in there temporarily, but also... You don't cooperate. You don't give them office space. You don't tell them. And the only way they're going to know is they walk up with a search warrant. Now, there are a couple end arounds on that one, which I'm going to share with you in just a minute. But as I said, here is the latest episode. And these are lawyers being lawyers. When in doubt, figure out a loophole. Matter of fact, they figure out loopholes within loopholes. And here is... And I love this one. All right. With the ACLU, a pastor, the Reverend, Reverend Samuel Poulin of Community Congre- uh, Congre- Congregational United Church of Christ in Los Alamitos, has filed a lawsuit to overturn, overturn Los Alamitos' ordinance that said it will not comply with the state sanctuary cities or sanctuary state policy. Los Alamitos said it is unconstitutional, the state law. Why? Because of the supremacy clause of the United States. You can't pass a law where ICE has a policy. Now, that in and of itself gets interesting because uh, it is not law that ICE can ask for deportations or ask prisons to give them the prisoners, or give them information. Whereas it is law in the state of California that police authorities cannot cooperate. So here is what the Reverend Samuel Poulin did, arguing that Los Alamitos' illegal ordinance, now this is not on the supremacy clause business, This is on a freedom of religion issue. You go, how the hell does that work? Here's what he said. Los Alamitos illegal ordinance causes serious harm to my ability to serve my congregation. He can't successfully pastor his congregation. Why is that? Because immigrant worshipers are less likely to come and participate in church services because they fear that Los Alamitos and its law enforcement officials are helping deport members of the community. It's a freedom of religion. Your law stops my people from coming to my church and worshiping. Therefore, you're interfering with my ability and you're interfering with their religious First Amendment rights. Huh? By the way, that's the answer to the complaint. Uh, the uh, Los Alamitos, I've, I've looked at the complaint, 
And it starts with, huh? That's H-U-H-H-H-H-H, several exclamation points. And then it goes on to, of course, go through the uh, legal part of it. But by the, by the way, they haven't answered the complaint yet. And so now this is broken down in terms of cities that are fighting the sanctuary laws as much as possible. Then you have cities that are in favor, counties that are in favor. And it, how's the end around? And I was talking to one of the sheriffs of uh, one of the counties up north uh, who is now has to deal with a state sanctuary law and cannot inform ICE when uh, the county prisoners are released. So you know what they're doing? They're simply publishing when they're going to be released. We're not cooperating with anybody. We're simply putting it on the website. That's all. It's not a violation of anybody's rights. So every day we put on the website who's going to be released and when. Now, that's only to scheduled releases. What they can't do is, and we're now talking about uh, simply practically, because when someone makes bail, it happens all day long, and a judge will release them 10 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and there's no way. And so it's only scheduled releases that happen every day at 2 o'clock, for example, where sentences are done and they're to be released. So it's a partial end around. But that's the latest. Okay. Now, talking about deportations. How blue is California? Not so blue. I'll share with you a recent poll that you might be very surprised uh, with. I certainly was. And when we come back, uh, your chance to win $1,000 you brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you have bleeding gums, yuck. That's why you see H-H-H-H, several exclamation points. Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. Call 888-640-SMILE. KFI Handle here on a Thursday. Here's your chance to win some money. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. They notify the winner by calling them. You have to pick up that call. Joyce and Artesia did, and she is $1,000 richer. Your next chance to win next hour. All right, uh, back we go to uh, the show with the morning crew. Uh, some of the big stories we're covering today, by the way, that are trending. Uh, the NTSB has actually come up uh, with a pre- preliminary reason as to why that uh, explosion happened on that 747 in Philadelphia. Uh, that you rarely see. And then at 9.50, just the last segment of the show, it, this is going to be fun. It's probably one of the most fun segments I've ever done. done. You can learn how to perform exorcisms. You take a course from the church. I know uh, Ramiro is just just jumping up and down. He can't wait. I'm excited. I know you are. All right. Now, uh, California being a very blue state, that when uh, the president started doing his anti-Muslim travel ban business, and of course it's been turned over by the courts a few times, uh, it is now in effect, but on a very limited basis, uh, because uh, the Trump administration had to change it several times. And you think uh, that uh, just people are really pissed off at that. You know, come on, unconstitutional, really? You're going to segregate Muslims? You know, and that, here's the problem, is that virtually every terrorist is a Muslim. 
But that doesn't translate to every Muslim as a terrorist. See, that's the problem. And that's effectively what this entire anti-Muslim business is about. Well, uh, there is a survey done by UC Berkeley's Haas Institute for a Fair and Inclusive Society. You think there's a little bias there? But they've come up with this. And this is a um, survey that was done on the Internet. And I'm assuming it has some scientific basis to it. About half of Californians say they support the Muslim travel ban and support more deportations of undocumented immigrants, which challenges the conventional belief that we in California are overwhelmingly opposed to this concept. Huh. I find that surprising. I mean, I really did. I mean, I know there are plenty of people uh, who uh, agree with the president and there should be a Muslim ban. And, of course, uh, they uh, a heavy vetting, as he said, as opposed to heavy petting. And he, um, and it's already in place. I mean, everything he asked for is effectively in place other than just not letting him in because of the fear of, uh, because of the fear of uh, terrorism. Although Saudi Arabia is off that list and Saudi Arabia has produced more terrorists. 9-11 was all, was all Saudis uh, that did it. I think 19 uh, Saudis out of the 20-something that were involved. But it's interesting that we in California, uh, about half agree with the president and the banning of Muslims. It is a really interesting, interesting poll, if there's any validity to it at all. Now, mo- it, and it talks about uh, most Americans being in favor of the dreamer staying here. I think that's legitimate. I don't think most Americans feel that the dreamer should be, uh, uh, should be deported. Even the president, although he has stopped DACA, he talked about the dreamers being allowed to stay in the United States until the next day when he talked about being deported, until the day after that when he talked about allowing them in, until the day after that, he said, ah, no, I don't think so. And then the next day he goes, I really don't know. And then he came back around a few times. But they're still here. And the fear they're going to be deported realistically is non-existent. If you happen to be a DACA member, if you happen to be one of this group of people, I wouldn't sweat it. I really wouldn't sweat it. They're just not tossing anybody out. But at the same time, what is happening among people that are illegal of all the, the number is uh, that they're, you're sweating bullets. Because there have been a few instances which even have some validity under the law. That father who dropped off his daughter and then a few blocks later on was picked up by ICE and deported, although he is now back in the United States. They put him in a detention center and uh, he has now been reunited with his family for, of course, political reasons. But there was even a legitimate basis for uh, throwing him out because he had had enough misdemeanors, I think a drunk driving uh, conviction. And the law is really clear. We don't want drunk drivers living in the United States. And if you happen to be illegal and you are a drunk driver, congratulations, you're on the other side of the border. Here's a wall you can climb. Well, here's a wall that maybe you can climb. Well, here's no wall that you can not climb over. I'll try to figure this out at some point when the wall is going to come or not come. All right, uh, coming up. 
gravely disabled. Why is that a, a, a problem? It's a legal definition of what is gravely disabled, and this is a big deal, and I'm going to share that with you upon our return. This is KFI and Jennifer Jones-Lee, who has to not worry about any wall. What's going on? KFI handle here. It is a uh, Thursday morning. Some of the stories that we're covering, uh, the NTSB is actually coming out with a preliminary finding as to what happened to that engine on the 737. Uh, and a story of uh, Puerto Rico, uh, a second power outage. Oh, man, in a week. All right. Now, uh, you've all heard of the term 5150, right? 5150 is a section of what is from uh, what's called the Lannerman Petrus Short Act that Ronald Reagan, uh, when he was governor, signed uh, in 1967. And it signaled a whole new way that we in California dealt with the mentally ill. Up until that point, they threw people in mental facilities and could keep them there forever. People didn't go to court, just had to have a psychiatrist say, this guy is so crazy or this woman is so nuts to protect them and others were keeping them in a mental uh, facility. Well, ACLU got involved, uh, governor got involved because just costing too much money. And so uh, thank you, we're done. And now there are guidelines under, uh, again, the law still in effect, uh, for the detention of mentally disordered persons, 72-hour hold. You've heard of that, of course. And actually, uh, this law is a very valuable tool for law enforcement, mental health professionals, because you don't need anybody to throw, other than a mental health uh, uh, practitioner or a cop, to throw someone in a 72-hour hold. Well, the, there are some legislators that want to expand the treatment for, the, for serious medical conditions. So let me start with what happens today when someone is uh, brought into a hospital on a 5150. They're not brought into a mental institution. They're brought to the hospital. A room has to be cleared. Security has to be provided. The medical staff has to conduct a physical examination Medical tests have to be done, blood work, drug screenings, x-rays, CT scans, if a doctor feels that's appropriate, all conducted before the candidate is assessed by a psychiatrist. Drunk patients have to be sober, sober, so they have to wait until they sober up. Diabetic patients have to have a reasonable blood sugar level. Injuries, cuts, broken bones, etc., have to be attended to. They have to deal with that first. And if the patient is homeless, a social worker is brought in. That's the law now. I mean, that's expensive. Well, uh, we have a new law being introduced, and what it does is expand the way that we deal with mentally ill. Right now, all all a patient has to do, if someone's mentally ill, and you have a 5150 at the end of it, I'm out of here. As a matter of fact, in the hospital, I think they can go, I don't want any treatment. You can't force someone to have a treatment. When they're mentally ill and determined they're so crazy, they have no choice. Nurse Ratchet shows up and said, let, let, says, let me see your tongue. And you open your mouth. Ah, all right, roll up your tongue. Ah, to make sure that you're taking your pills. 
That was sound effects, by the way. I just want to point this out. This is radio. If this was television, it would also it would be added uh, an added feature to that because you could actually see my tongue. In any case, uh, it is there's a lot to it. Now they want to expand it to more people. And here's the problem with expanding this. And that is because right now it's uh, you have to be gravely disabled for you to be put away. And gravely disabled is unable to uh, provide food, clothing or shelter for themselves or to understand the nature or severity of their illness. Under those circumstances, the holds can be extended up to a month. And then eventually, if they're unable to care for themselves, and this is way down the line, uh, the, the state takes over as a conservator. In other words, uh, it's, it's the county guardian is the technical name. And it happens to be a lawyer. I don't know if it's necessarily a lawyer, but there's an individual, a group of individuals who now take over the care and make the decisions for the, that individual. And that is a legal process, and it is not fun. So the bottom line is it's insanely expensive to do it today. And they want to expand the number of people who uh, can be put in and have the kind of services under the uh, the law, under the Lannerman-Petrus Short Act, uh, the 5150 section. And here's the problem. I mean, you know what? I'd love to have more people that are helped. I'd love to have an expanded version of people because right now, you basically have to be really nuts to go into a psychiatric hospital. You have to be sort of be out of your mind. And they want to expand it to, to sort of be out of your mind. Kind of, sort of, maybe, maybe be out of your mind. And we're simply going to in, in, enhance or expand the number of people. And you wonder why. And I've often said this. You know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, governments ran within their budgets. You know why? Because none of this even existed. The state, the counties didn't provide this kind of service. And as services expand, and we have an ever-expanding service concept because this is California, and we want to help everybody all the time under all circumstances. And if you need the help, we are the safety net. Well, safety nets aren't cheap, particularly when you're talking about Things like this. Helping the homeless. Another one. Insanely expensive. Why is that? Because not only do you need the housing, you also need the services that come with the housing. The mental health practitioners, the social workers, people that do training. People that come in and help those who are homeless get back to a normal life. For example, here's how you open a checking account. I'm going to walk you to the bank and we're going to sit down. And if you ever opened a checking account when you know what you're doing, it's half an hour. It's 45 minutes. Drives me nuts. I have a very dear friend of mine who at the bank uh, that I bank with and I'll open a, a, a bank account, another trust account or something for the Center for Surrogate Parenting. And I'm 45 minutes there. I go, my God, this is a checking account. No, I need all the information. And then they're typing away and they're, it's, it's insanity. Can you imagine someone who is homeless and half mentally ill walking into a bank and trying to open up a bank account? It's the services that cost so much. It's ever-expanding. We don't have the money. Or we will get the money by taxing, 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 and taxing because that's just the way it works here. 
So you're going to have 5150, 5150, uh, 5151, 5152, 5153. You just watch. All right, coming up, uh, an area of spying on you that the Pentagon has come up with. And for those of you that are uh, upset about the lack of privacy, wait till you hear this one. KFI AM 640, Jennifer Jones. KFI handle here. It is a uh, Thursday morning. Uh, some of the stories that we're covering, uh, the Southwest uh, incident, that uh, engine exploding, and the NTSB is coming up with uh, somewhat of an explanation, preliminary explanation. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, also, is uh, the president going to fire special counsel Robert Mueller? I'll tell you about uh, what Pittsburgh is doing. A lot going on. And then the fun one today, uh, learn how to perform exorcisms. You can take a class. And by the way, it's not a junior college that's putting this on either. It's the Catholic Church. will teach you how to perform exorcisms. Oh, that's just too delicious for words. And that's coming up at 9.50. Okay, now... Uh, privacy. I love privacy issues. You know why? Because there isn't any. There ain't no privacy under any circumstances. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of DARPA. And it's a, a division of uh, the government, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And what DARPA does is fund research into crazy-ass stuff. Science fiction, weird stuff that in many cases turn out to be real. Real weaponry, uh, real equipment, and it's really kind of a a neat. I have a friend of mine who actually uh, gets some uh, money from DARPA for various projects. Well, DARPA has a new project. It has just funded uh, a $5.1 million contract to a company called CryptoWire, and they're developing something called the Warfighter Analytics using smartphones for health program called WASH. For short, don't you love those acronyms? Only the military. And what it's going to be used for in the military is to spot diseases for military members based on data that it collects from a person's smartphone. Well, this has privacy advocates just a touch spooked. Now, obviously, uh, this is done with uh, the permission of the military members, and they have to know about it. But here's uh, the bottom line. The ACLU is going berserk here. If you're activating a microphone or on someone's phone, and it's, that's going to raise a lot of alarms anyway, people don't want to feel like someone is listening in on their private life. Uh, so get rid of your Alexa, incidentally, or your Echoes, because that's exactly what they do. Or maybe you don't want to watch TV because uh, those smart TVs know exactly what you're watching, when you're watching, and for how long you're watching. And so what this program is about is dealing with uh, healthcare problems in the military. It's going to develop algorithms that use data from smartphone sensors to enable continuous and real-time assessment. Now, this is all in, of course, uh, the preliminary stages of research. But your smartphone is going to basically be able to read what everything's going on about you physically. It's like a, imagine a, uh, a Fitbit squared. And you get all this information. And it's all going to come from your smartphone. Cameras, light sensors, pedometers, uh, fingerprint sensors, microphones. 
And with the knowledge and consent of the user, all that information is is collected. And what happens is a soldier smartphone will be constantly scanning for signs that something is wrong. For example, holding your smartphone and, and you're jittering too much. What does that mean? Well, it looks at other uh, it, algorithm looks for other things. Blood pressure is that going up? Uh, is there an issue of you're walking faster? What does all that mean? It means maybe there's something wrong with you. Information is now uh, tagged and it is sent to another computer, maybe, and finally sent to the medical folks who decide, okay, there's something wrong with the service member. And of course, as soon as uh, the program was announced. Uh, the folks at uh, CryptoWire sat down and said, and not only is uh, this usage good for the military, these are people. So it's good for everybody. And do you wonder about your privacy? Now, the only good news here is at this point, it's all with permission and consent. The military, incidentally, can have that happen. You sign up, and they're going to say, by the way, part of signing up is this is going to happen. And if you don't like it, there's the door. And incidentally, we're going to know when you walk out that door, and as you grab the door handle, how hard you're grabbing, what your perspiration, how much perspiration, what your heart rate is, uh, and your blood, uh, how much glucose you have in your blood. We're going to sort of know everything about you as you leave and say no thank you, because that's the military. But Look how it's expanding uh, to the point where, well, every company is going to know everything about everyone. It's like China. I did that story yesterday with China and uh, the fact that face recognition software, everybody in China, everybody in China is scanned no matter where they go. It's getting scary for a lot of people. All right. Uh, coming up, a success from scratch, but it's not really a success from scratch. It's about a company that's already very successful and where they went. And this is very unusual. We don't do too many of these, but it's a hell of a story. KFI AM 640. Handle here morning crew thursday april 19th some of the biggest stories that we're covering today and we'll do this a little bit later on is uh the southwest uh, airplane the 737 the engine exploding the ntsb come up has come up with a preliminary statement which never happens uh this early and then is uh, donald trump going to fire uh deputy attorney general rod rosenstein rod rosenstein and robert Mueller and or robert Mueller. oh and then at 9 50 you have to listen to this one. Uh, learn how you can perform exorcisms. Exorcisms 101. Brought to you by the Catholic Church. All right. Success from scratch. Brought to you by Lifteek. Look years younger without facelift surgery. Go to lifteek.com. Now, normally we do a success from scratch uh, about a company or about a group of individuals or an individual that from nothing create a fabulously successful business or on their way to. This is a little different. This is a company that already was fabulously successful, gave up their fabulous, fabulously successful part, and then went in a different direction. And it's a company called LifeStraw. Now, if you go camping or hiking, there's always a dilemma. 
either there's fresh water there or you have to carry a lot of clean water uh, or deal with sources eh, that are so, sort of questionable out there in the yonder. I don't go a lot. Actually, do you know that I actually, when I was a Boy Scout, did a good part of the John Muir Trail? How's that? Of course, I didn't do well, but it doesn't matter. Also, after natural disasters, I mean, look at Puerto Rico, uh, often a, a lack of clean water available and around the world, and it's getting worse, uh, huge populations, huge numbers of people have no regular access to safe drinking water at all. Well, uh, LifeStraw is a company that makes different devices to uh, render your contaminated water drinkable. And the company actually is involved in significant major charitable work around the world. And here's why. According to the latest figures from the World Health Organization, the WHO, almost a billion people lack basic drinking water service around the world. I mean, that is an insane figure. Matter of fact, uh, we've often been told, and I believe this, that the next major land war is going to be over access to drinking water. That it's that bad. Over 250 million people a day spend more than 30 minutes a day just getting water, going down to the source and coming back. And diseases from contaminated water among the highest causes of death for children under five. Kenya happens to be one of the most effective countries. In the last four years, LifeStraw has supplied clean drinking water to a million kids there. And their community uh, filters, and I'll talk about that in a minute, have been installed at 1,700 schools uh, in Kenya. So let me go a little bit of history of this company. Go back to 1957. The Vestergaard family in Denmark started a company that mainly made uniforms for service workers. But from the beginning, this is a family that had an interest in helping with global health issues. In the early 90s, they started supplying blankets made of uh, surplus wool to groups like Red Cross Save the Children. And then the company began giving tsetse fly traps and mosquito netting to communities around the world. You don't want to get bitten by a tsetse fly. You don't even know what a tsetse fly looks like. I've never met a tsetse fly. But they're very dangerous, especially when you're out there in uh, the hinterlands. In, they became a world-famous company. In 1994, the Carter Center approached them to develop a filter that could remove the guinea worm larvae from water. Another one. I've never met a guinea, uh, guinea worm larva, but uh, go figure. So they initially designed a cloth filter, but then it became uh, into a pipe form, uh, much more effective. This filter has all but eradicated the diseases caused by the guinea worm contamination. Wiped it out. In 1997, the son, uh, Mikkel Vestergaard, took over the company, sold off the hugely successful uniform business, and turned his attention to the humanitarian parts of the company. And he was looking at the impact of the guinea worm filter that the company developed, and he started uh, working to develop a product that could filter out virtually all microbiological contaminants that make water unsafe to drink. I mean, think of all the contaminants in water that make people sick. And the problem is when you have people that have no access to water, they have to drink bad water. And kids under the age of five or 
kids in general obviously have, they're more vulnerable to diseases, which is why the mortality rate is astronomical when you're talking about these developing countries. So inspired by that filter, he really decided he's going to work and make a product that uh, makes unsafe water safe. So he was at it for years, and Vestergaard introduced in 2005 the Life Straw technology. And it's basically a filter that looks like a large straw. Matter of fact, it is a large straw. And it's designed for people in developing countries who don't have access to safe water. And it's also designed for emergency settings following natural disasters when water is contaminated. Read uh, New Orleans, Puerto Rico, uh, after the storms hit. And there's no access to clean drinking water. And, of course, uh, if you're talking in countries that are developing and uh, the water's contaminated, you don't have National Guard bringing in bottled waters for everybody. Each life straw can filter up to 265 gallons of water. No moving parts, requires no external uh, power. Uh, The power operates on suction that the user sucks up the water. That's your power. And what Vestergaard did is then began expanding the line uh, because there are different needs, different types of people, different type of organizations. And there are a bunch of uh, products now. Lifestraw Community, schools, hospitals, cost 375 bucks. Refillable water bottle, 45 bucks. Uh, Lifestraw Mission, large gravity-fed bag system that people, hikers, expeditions... A 10-ounce water bottle for kids with built-in filters, 40 bucks. And it's not inexpensive, but here's what they're doing. In 2014, four years ago, they started the Follow the Leaders program. Follow the leader? That's cute. Under this portion, a portion of all the consumer sales goes towards supplying the schools around the world with uh, LifeStraw community purifiers. So today, every purchase of a LifeStraw product Supplies one school kid with clean water for a year. I mean, that's pretty impressive. So today, what's going on? Well, the largest source of funding is the consumer purchases. It's not inexpensive, but man, look what it does. The basic straw is 20 bucks. A water bottle with a filter is 25 bucks. The mission system where you can deal and deal with hundreds of people at a time, less than $120. It filters up to 3.5 gallons per hour. Okay, so you can't deal with uh, hundreds of people, but certainly you can help with dozens. That's a company that really is impressive. That is a success from scratch. All right, when we come back, uh, your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you need a new smile... Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. Call 888-640-SMILE. KFI handle here on a uh, Thursday morning. Here is some uh, is your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword cash to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's cash to 200-200.
If you win, you're going to be notified with a phone call. You need to answer that call. Suzanne in Lancaster answered the call and won $1,000. There's a chance to win every Monday through Friday from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. All right. Uh, We've often talked of uh, the disparity between African-American students and white and Asian students in school. And uh, the stats actually are staggering. African-American students have the lowest high school graduation rates across the board, the highest suspension rates, disciplinary rates across the board. And we can argue all day long, is it racism? Is it socioeconomic? Is there an issue of culture at all? And it's just, it's a question. But the fact is that these kids have a real problem succeeding in school and moving on and graduating. So let's start scrambling. And what's the answer inevitably? Well, this is California. And the answer is, let's throw some more money at this problem because that's the answer. You know, every one of these legislators, when they die, uh, the, their epitaph, their tombstone is going to read, I never met an entitlement program I didn't like. Not a one. So uh, there is a bill. Uh, written by Shirley Weber out of San Diego, Democrat. And what what it does is, quote, correct the failure of the local control funding formula, uh, which is a a funding formula where uh, money that goes to the schools is broken up and low-income groups, disabled groups, get more money for services. Well, what uh, she wants to do is increase the money that goes to uh, African-American schools or primarily, well, actually to African-American students. It's that simple. If you're black and enrolled in a program, that program simply gets more money by the very nature of of being African-American. Now, a quarter uh, or three quarters of uh, black kids already receive and get a supplemental grant. But this would pick up the rest of the African-American students, which means that every single African-American student gets additional money for school programs. And they're saying, well, that one, maybe that's going to work. In the end, we simply throw money at it. I I don't know what the answer would be. Do we simply change the way the family structure works? Do we take, and kids obviously who are poor do far worse than kids who aren't. It doesn't matter whether you're African-American or Hispanic or Asian. Well, all the Asian kids do well. Uh, or Jewish. Well, all the Jewish kids do well. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, I, I, I list Jewish somehow as uh, an ethnicity. And I don't know why, but I just happen to make fun of everybody who is. And so if you're dealing with a group that doesn't do well, both historically and today. And that's the problem. This is not uh, a group of people, we're talking about black kids, especially poor black kids, who easily move up through society, even though the opportunities are far greater than they used to be. And even those who uh, advocate uh, the idea that racism is still rampant, Uh, The reality is that it's far better than it used to be. 
But the answer here is money. And, and because what else are you going to do? I mean, literally, what else are you going to do? Are you going to go into the black community and start dealing with how families function? That's racist. Because that says something about families. By the way, I don't know if that's the answer or not. And in my opinion, uh, it dysfunctional families are the rule. And I don't care where you come from. You should have seen me growing up. I had one of the most screwed up families you could ever imagine. But I'll tell you what I did have, which many, many poor black kids don't have. And that is a philosophy and a mandate that I was going to go to college come hell or high water. College to me was like gravity. I get out of bed every morning and my feet hit the floor, not the ceiling. That is a reality for me. Does that exist in other cultures? Not as much. So is it changing the culture? You know, I don't know the answer, but in the meantime, the easy one is, of course, tax us more money and throw more services in the community to give them, and I'm talking about them, anybody. Uh, we're talking about the disabled. We're talking about any ethnicity that doesn't do as well. This is across the board. It just so happens that the African-Americans in this one are the poster child of this particular program. And uh, that is an answer. Is it going to help? No. No, it never does. All right, coming up, handle on the news, late edition. KFI AM 640. Handle on the news. Late edition. Handle on the news. And last but not least, Bill Handel. Any power you want to tell us about? I don't, I don't have one. Um, I, I just saw the ad. You're in. And now, here's Bill Handel. Oh, yeah. It's a Thursday, April 19th. Uh, big stories that we're going to be covering and that are obviously in the news. And that's the Southwest 737 incident happened yesterday. Is the president going to fire Robert Mueller and Rod Rosenstein? Is that Rosenstein or Rosenstein? Stein. Stein. Rosenstein. God, I'm so, you know, Frankenstein or Frankenstein? It's, you know. I think it's Frankenstein. Well, at least according to Gene Wilder. Right. Is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then at 950, uh, this one is going to be this. I'm so looking forward to this. How to perf- learn how to perform an exorcism brought to you by the experts in the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's do it. Handle on the news. Late edition. Jennifer Jones, Lee, Wayne Resnick and me. Lead story. The NTSB has come out with a preliminary finding of what happened to that engine on that 737 Southwest uh, Airlines. And you never see anything like this come out two days later, ever. Uh, It's under investigation, but uh, they came out and said, it looks like one of the fan blades in the turbine failed. And it looks like there was structural failure. An interior crack on that fan blade. Yep, and then off it went at the point where it actually met... Uh, the crankshaft, if you will. I don't know if there's a crankshaft, but met the shaft where it connects. These things spin at 10,000 RPM. So uh, it's uh, just the least little failure and boom, off they go. And the whole engine exploded. And these are, in fact, they are x-rayed uh, and they are analyzed very quickly for structural damage. It was due for an inspection, the blades themselves, in December. 
So this thing, uh, this plane was properly maintained. Although, man, do I have a story for you about planes being maintained that are going to stun you. That is going to stun you coming up at 9 o'clock. You'll never get on an airplane again after I tell you that story. So anyway, uh, that's going to be covered. And then, of course, the pilot is, no, never mind, a hero, right? Let me do another 10-minute rant on that one. Well, police in Pittsburgh have ordered all the officers to bring their riot gear to work just in case the president fires special counsel Robert Mueller. Yep. Uh, In uh, an internal memo, uh, she says there is a, quote, belief Mueller may be fired uh, and large-scale protests are expected in the central business district, district within 24 hours if this happens. So they're already anticipating well, there's this group called Nobody is Above the Law, and um, they're the ones who are calling for this rally in Pittsburgh, I guess, if something happens to Mueller. And they say they're getting ready to respond quickly and forcefully to a clear obstruction of justice. This Ugh. is what the group has posted online. So they're saying if it happens, we promise some sort of protest right. or riot or something. President firing uh, a subordinate, someone who works for him, is a clear obstruction of justice. Now, if he does fire him to stop an investigation, then that is. But I'm glad those folks uh, know the motivation because they obviously read the president's mind on a regular basis. One thing we do know he's thinking is that if the talks with North Korea happen and then they're not any good, Trump will pull right out. Trump and Kim is the businessman part of Donald Trump, the negotiation part. Yeah, I'm willing to sit down and talk, but if it doesn't go well, I'm pulling out, I'm done. And if we don't have the rules set up beforehand, I'm not even going. Uh, usually you don't hear that from a president. Oh, what a shocker. Referring to President Trump with the phrase, usually you don't hear that from a president. Boy, that's something we have. I haven't said before, is it? So, you know, hopefully it works. If, it, if he pulls it off, this guy is going to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, if you have, if you do sit down with another power and it isn't going well and you don't feel like anything's going to come out of it, why wouldn't you pull out? Well, it's not like would, he's saying something outrageous but you in wouldn't, this regard. But you wouldn't pull out in, with those words. I'm pulling out. Nothing's happening. It's we're going back for more consultations, uh, you know, somehow spinning it. In terms of uh, diplomatic ease. Is this his way, too, though, of saying to his detractors who had said, hey, why would you even meet at the same table with Kim Jong-un? His way of saying, I control this meeting. This is It's all about me and the power. Well, it's all about him no matter what. And I think there is to that extent. But also, uh, I think he comes up with a very good point. Why not? If everything else has failed, why wouldn't we go in that direction? Oh, because it gives uh, credence to Kim Jong-un because uh, he now believes he's part of a world, uh, one of the world, uh, nations of the world. Well, first of all, he is. Second of all, he is a nuclear power. That's just the reality. And sitting down and talking to him, what? How does that hurt? Well, the two gentlemen who were arrested at Starbucks after they didn't purchase anything and went to the bathroom anyway, they say that they not only did nothing wrong, but they feared for their lives. Now, I have a a question to ask uh, because one of them uh, said, uh, and these were entrepreneurs, these were not people that were homeless or anything, 
Uh, we were there for a real reason, a, a real deal we were working on. We put in a lot of time, energy, effort, uh, and this could have been a positive moment that would impact uh, people, lives, families. And look, you're stopping that right now. But here's my question. The manager says you have to be a customer in order to go to the bathroom or even sit there. And the manager came over and said you have to leave. They said we weren't doing anything wrong. We were using Starbucks as our office without their permission to cut a deal without buying anything. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong. For example, someone coming into the studio and saying, I'm using this uh, for my office. Get out. We have work here to do. Uh, it doesn't matter. And if you throw me out, uh, there's nothing wrong. Well, maybe I'm being a little hyperbolic about here. But you own a restaurant. And you have paying customers. And a few people walk in and say, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at this table and I'm not buying anything. And if you try to throw me out, you're the one that's wrong. I'm not wrong. What am I missing here? Isn't that loitering or trespassing uh, or something? I don't, even, I don't know what I'm well, missing that's here. That's why the cops came. I think the thing that makes this look really bad is that apparently from the time they walked in until the time the manager called the police was only about two minutes. But once and there's a, a sense that the second they walked in and sat down, that that manager was already looking at but them. But did the manager say, if you're not buying anything, uh, you can't be here? Do we also know if this was a pattern? Did I don't these know. these guys go there a lot and we don't and do know. this? Or? I don't know. We don't know. There's but actually was, a lot we don't know about what happened before she called the cops. Yeah. And uh, what of, uh, it was, this was uh, videoed by uh, a white and uh, the mayor said uh, that what happened appears to exemplify what racial discrimination looks like in 2018. That's another question I have, right? Uh, if a white is thrown out for doing that, which I don't know if they did or didn't, uh, I'm, I'm assuming they would have done the same thing. Because I'm assuming Starbucks doesn't have a policy that says you only throw out black people who refuse to buy anything, not white people. I doubt that that's a policy. Uh, I don't understand, number one, where the racial discrimination is. I, they just happen to be African-Americans who refuse to buy anything and are sitting down anyway and are using Starbucks as an office and defending that. We were doing nothing wrong. This was just a business meeting. And we have a right to be here without buying. And if you throw me out or call the cops, you're the one that's racist. Okay. I have no idea why... That, that is uh, a problem on, on behalf of Starbucks, assuming that they would do the same thing to white people. And my guess is they probably would. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe there is a maybe the, the assistant manager. The manager was wearing a hood and a, a sheet for all I know. All right. Uh, we're coming back and we'll finish this up. KFI AM 640. Tell her, tell her, baby, 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 Although the LA Fitness thing, I think, happened earlier, but it's coming out now again. Viral videos: uh, two African American men kicked out of an LA Fitness in New Jersey, saying it was discrimination. They were the only two black people at the gym, and they were the only people who were asked to rescan their cards after they had already scanned their cards, and there was no problem when they first scanned their cards. Well, so, I don't know. 
Uh, yes. Uh, needless to say, uh, someone who answered the phone at LA Fitness uh, said that uh, one, the manager said, one of the men has been removed from the company. Yes, the employees. The it's employee, kind of the same thing yes. that happened with the Starbucks yes. in Philly. The people working at this LA Fitness are out right. of a job, too. Well, we've been trying to fight the war on opioids. New data show, possibly we're doing that. Well, certainly uh, the prescriptions for opioid painkillers have uh, fallen dramatically last year. We don't have the figures about how many are still sold out in the open market. Right, but we've Out had on the, the street. Yeah, true. But we've had the biggest drop in prescriptions yep. in 25 years. Which, it has to be a major impact uh, as soon as we get those figures. There's no way around it because how do they get out to the street? I mean, very few people, drug dealers, can go in and order bottles of a thousand from the manufacturers. So, it's uh, it's probably going to happen for sure. The dosage, uh, uh, actually, the dosage has gone down, as well as the number of prescriptions have gone down, which makes the uh, the some that I still have left more valuable, much much more valuable. You know, they talk about you throw away. Uh, prescriptions when you're done. Not when it comes to opioids, you don't. Are you kidding? That's money in the bank. Now, now, now. And it's money that's in, it's like real estate in a, a market that's exploding. Money in a bank you'll spend on a criminal attorney when the feds. Well, yeah, charges. that's true. <laughs> Speaking of pharmaceuticals, uh, farm, former pharmaceutical executive, current inmate Martin Shkreli. He wanted to go to a minimum security federal camp, but uh, the BOP said, no, you're going to a prison. Which is pretty um, interesting because the judge who sentenced him agreed. But they, the judge can make a recommendation where you put a guy, prisons. but they can't force the Bureau of Prisons Since to do it. Since this is a white-collar crime, mm-hmm. is there any reason why they wouldn't put him in a, in a minimum security? In a security? camp? Yeah. Yeah. Because you may remember he had his bail revoked for various reasons. And one of them was this crazy video he put on YouTube where he said he would give people, and I forgot how much money, but a certain amount of money for every strand of hair they could pull out of Hillary Clinton's head. That's right. And the judge, when she revoked his bail, said on the record that he was a danger. So guess what? The BOP looks at the record and goes, ah, that's a point against you, no camp. Well, a former 911 operator who apparently hung up on thousands of phone calls or thousands of times. Yeah, she's going to jail. For 10 days. That's the thing. Yeah, come on. So she she has this unusual number of what they call short calls, which are calls that are no longer than 30 seconds. Like she would say, somebody would call in. One guy said he saw two vehicles speeding on a highway, same area where somebody had been killed by speeding. She said to him, ain't nobody got time for this for real, and hung up. Or some guy calls to report a oh, violent no. robbery. Nah, that apparently is not good enough either. She hangs up on him. All right. So hopefully uh, she has learned her lesson. Jail, no longer working there. And hopefully she'll take uh, that and get some grammar lessons. <laughs> right. Because she has time now. Well, her attorney said she was going through a tough time. Yeah, I'll bet. Over thousands of times. Yes. Uh, you know the joke about one day they'll just make a stand-up on the airplane? Oh, it's not a joke anymore. Come fly with me. Let's fly. There let's is fly a company away. called Avio Interiors, and they have a new design for something called the Skyrider 2, and it's basically, it's it's sort of a seat, but not really. It's, it's like, a thing that you kind of stand up against. Right. And you still, uh, you can still put your butt on it. It's still sort of a seat. Like, it's like one of those amusement park rides, one of those theme park yes, rides. Yes, that's what it looks like. Uh, and uh, 
Uh, they're saying it is for short trips. Can you imagine doing 12 hours uh, on, on this one? And uh, it is, um, well, it's crazy is what it is. Sure, because now the pitch, the distance between the seats, I think usually it's somewhere 28 to 31 inches or whatever. 23 inches, that's all you're going to get. Can we just skip to the last story because we can knock it out really fast? Uh, you know, sure, go ahead. Uh, sometimes the firefighters get a call to like, oh, help me get my cat out of the tree. How about this lady? Let me in. My raccoon is stoned. She brings Literally a stoned raccoon a, to the fire she department. She had a stoned raccoon. Yeah. Right. And Are, they said they really couldn't help it. They just had to let the, the buzz wear off. I guess. All right. Uh, that was fun. All right. Scary stuff with airplanes. You think, uh, oh, I don't know if I'm pretty comfortable or I don't know how comfortable I am getting on an airplane. I used to be so comfortable. I used to be so comfortable. Be- uh, that's past tense. I'll tell you why, and you're going to go, no, this isn't true. It is so true. KFI AM 640. KFI handle here on a Thursday morning, April 19th. Uh, All right, let's get right to it. Regarding that plane, uh, well, not the crash, but the uh, engine on that Boeing 737 Southwest Airlines, it exploded uh, a couple days ago uh, at altitude, and uh, the pilot had to make an emergency landing in Philadelphia where that one passenger died. The engine actually exploded, causing shrapnel to fly all over the place. Uh, One of the pieces, or several pieces, went through the window, and the woman sitting there, uh, obviously, unfortunately, was hit in the head. It had gone through the window and was hit in the head and blunt uh, trauma to her head. I'm assuming she died instantly. She had to have. So uh, it's, uh, at least she wasn't suffering. I mean, as horrible as it is. So the NTSB has uh, come out and uh, in a very preliminary statement, which never happens this early, saying that there looked like it was metal fatigue in one of the blades, the turbine blades that spin at about 10,000 RPM. And... Uh, uh, obviously, that's not good news. And you've seen those blades. Uh, you know, when the plane is parked, you see what they look like. And when it's spinning, of course, you can't see at all. So uh, I want to talk to you about maintenance. Because airplanes are all about maintenance. I mean, they're fanatic about maintenance. And uh, this plane had been appropriately maintained. And it had met inspections. And the issue is going to be now, uh, how often do they look at the blades? This could be a one-off happened before too but keep in mind there are tens of thousands of uh, these uh, engines up in the air and so uh, this is a workhorse of an engine so maintenance is uh, obviously what is uh, critical to all of this so you see those huge hangars at airports massive hangars and the planes go in and you'll see them being maintained Well, yeah, planes have to be maintained. Now, this is the good news, okay? Nearly all the large U.S. airlines have shifted their heavy maintenance work. That's when they take take the engines apart and literally take the planes apart, inspect or metal fatigue. We're talking about bolts being taken off and then put back on and it being examined and fairings and connections and the cables 
I mean, that's what happens with these uh, with the jets, which is why there's such a tremendous safety factor in flying jets. It's what your your chance of getting hit hit by a meteorite uh, greater than dying in a plane crash, unless you happen to be in the plane when it crashes, then it's about a hundred percent. But it's still pretty rare. And that's because of, uh, first of all, the planes are very well built, very well designed. Both Airbus and Boeing are the big plane manufacturers for the heavy ones. And the maintenance. Eh. Over the t- past 10 years, where have they done the heavy maintenance? They go to developed countries, developing countries, where the mechanics take the planes apart. Many of them not even able to read or speak English. And why is that important? Because the maintenance manuals are all in English. And they're very complicated. And they are minute. Remember once I was flying uh, to the Galapagos on an old DC-6 a zillion years ago. And uh, it was uh, this uh, four-engine, I think it was four or two-engine old propeller plane. Very comfortable. Big seats, wide seats. And uh, it just so happens the uh, maintenance manual was in an overhead. They kept it right there in the plane. So I pull it down, and it runs about 600 pages, a loose-leaf binder, because they can replace the pages. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going, holy hell! How does anybody who speaks English understand this stuff? Well, you think today it's a little more complicated than a plane that was that's 80 years old. And so where do they where do they do this maintenance? El Salvador, Mexico, China is exploding. And if you look at the number of maintenance jobs in the US, now I've often said get highly skilled jobs. That's the future. Forget about college. You'll never get a job. Get a very highly skilled job. For example, uh, air conditioning repair, airplane maintenance. The problem is that in the year 2000, there were 72,000 of these mechanics in the U.S. That's dropped to fewer than 50,000. You have to move to El Salvador and you have to unlearn English. Is the way you're going to get a job maintaining these airplanes and it's happening more and more there's one airline that still keeps it in the united states american uh but you have u.s airways southwest jet blue a bunch of smaller american carriers sitting there in el salvador in these hangars now this is heavy maintenance every plate panel wings flaps tail rudder everything unscrewed and put together the light maintenance is still done in the U.S. only because it doesn't pay to fly the airplane down there. Uh, It is tough. Oh, and uh, the mechanics have to be FAA certified. But the rules are such that one mechanic is FAA certified, and there are 30 of them running around on these Chinese Chinese plants. You come to the U.S., it's 90% are FAA certified. The only ones that aren't are the people that get the parts. Here, get me this wrench. There, it's, here, give me the engine. I'm going to take it apart. I don't even know how to say that in Chinese. 
731 foreign repair shops certified by the FAA around the globe. And how qualified are these mechanics? Well, the FAA doesn't actually have people that uh, go around and check because the manpower has been cut so much. So, Wayne, for example, is getting on an airplane tomorrow. And the plane probably just came back from El Salvador, where a non-English-speaking almost mechanic was the one that tore that engine apart. Have a nice day. All right. Also, when we come back, uh, your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you have loose teeth, call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. And uh, coming up, a woman sues because she says her dreads cost her her job offer. Ah, racism at its best, right? It's always racism. That's the end. We default to that. All right, here and the morning crew here's your chance to win some money your shot at one thousand dollars now text the keyword luck to 200 200 you'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info standard data and messaging rates apply that's luck to 200 200 they notify the winner by calling them you have to pick up that call joyce and artesia did and she is a thousand dollars richer your next chance to win next hour all right, uh, I want to spend a moment or two talking about racism, like say we, as if we don't do it uh, a lot. And here's what happens. Uh, whenever there is an African-American person involved in an altercation, uh, inevitably the argument goes right down, it's racist. And the shame of it is, is when there is a real issue of racism, like this case I'm going to tell you, uh, it sort of, I think, loses its impact because there's so much out there. So let me tell you uh, about this woman in Alabama, who is uh, African-American. Her name is Chastity Jones. She was offered a job as a customer service representative at a call center. And during the interview, she wore her hair in sort of short, natural locks. She was dressed in a business suit and pumps because she's trying to get a job. And then she shows up, uh, or the manager finds out that she has dreadlocks. And they withdraw the offer of employment because of her dreads. And a manager later tells her that the dreads violated the company's grooming policy. And I'm going to quote, according to this complaint, uh, because, quote, they tend to get messy. And that she couldn't wear her hair that way when she goes to work. And, of course, uh, she refused to get rid of her locks. Uh, her dreads and the job offer was rescinded and that began a legal battle where the NAACP Legal and Defense Fund jumped right in and uh, they're uh, part of uh, suing her. And uh, the EEOC uh, filed a racial discrimination lawsuit against the company, uh, arguing that uh, this manager denied Jones a job based on a, quote, harmful racial stereotype that African-American hair is naturally unprofessional. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have a problem with that also. Uh, the federal district court dismissed the claim, saying, uh, no, no, you've got nothing there. Saying, and here is uh, the issue, and that is that racial discrimination has to be based on traits 
that a person cannot change. Skin color, particularly, for example, that can't be changed. Hairstyles can. And does that mean that that is not racism based on the law? Because racism is race, religion, creed, ethnicity. That's the kind of discrimination that is not allowed. The rest of it, you're allowed. Hi, I don't want to hire you because uh, you're too ugly. Uh, I don't like the pimples on your face. That's legal. I don't like your squeaky high voice. And I don't want that in our call center. That is legal. So there are two issues with this case. And I think uh, this woman, uh, I don't know whether she's going to prevail or not because the court is going to have to uh, effectively redetermine what racism is. Does that include a hairstyle or a way of talking, for example, that is particularly African-American, therefore an African-American is more likely to be discriminated against. So, I mean, there's no question she was discriminated against. Uh, The issue is, was it discrimination uh, because of the dreads? And if a white person having dreads, by the way, have you ever seen white people have have dreads? I've seen plenty of those. And uh, is that, uh, if it's the same kind of discrimination, uh, there's no case here. And so I don't assume that dreads, well, uh, yeah, I do for the most part, but it's not limited to, of course, uh, just black people because there's an occasional white person who wears dreads. Uh, but the assumption is that dreads are force connected with African-Americans. So uh, the issue, uh, number one, is, is this racism per se in the discrimination case is going to move forward because of her wearing dreads, violating the policy, and violating the policy because she's inherently black? And therefore, uh, there was discrimination. Of course, the company's going to argue, uh, no, it's the dreads. That's it. I don't care what color she was. It was the dreads. And the HR manager later tells her, and this is all in the lawsuit, that wearing dreads violated the company's grooming policy because they tend to get messy. Now, that's an interesting one. Dreads tend to get messy. Well, I'm going to argue having no hair, that hair tends to get messy. And therefore, if I'm hiring you and you have hair, I'm not going to let you work for me. Because what is the cleanest way of wearing your head without hair? Okay. See, that makes sense, right? So uh, that was stupid on his part. And uh, do I think racism uh, happened here? Absolutely. I'm convinced that what he did was pure racism. And I'll tell you why. And it has nothing to do with the legal aspect. This was a call center job. She's not seeing the public. And there's a huge difference there. Now, if she is out on in front of the public at a counter and wears dreads, I would say no. I would say you're done. What if she had him pulled back? If she's pulled, you can't see him and they're pulled back. Or they're pulled back in a way like that... Like in a ponytail style. Yeah, yeah. If it's a ponytail, I don't care. Uh, I'm fine with that. But we're talking about dread dreads. And why is that? Well, because I don't want to make my customers feel uncomfortable. And dreads can make people feel uncomfortable. And not because they're inherently... Uh, because someone is black. 
It's because dreads, well, do they look unkempt? Do they look sort of out of control? I would do the same thing with an afro. Exactly the same thing. I got to say, only when I think of, like, my friends who have had dreads in the past who have been white, they all looked like hippies, and they were all out of control. Well, my friends who are black who have had dreads in the past, they looked great. They looked like they put a lot of time and effort into them. Oh, they, uh, to keep them up yeah. is, is not an easy thing no. to do. But the point I'm uh, the point I'm making, call center, is the wearing of dreads and saying you can't work here inherently racist because mostly it's African Americans, or does the court say you know what you can you can control that, but you can also control your religion, uh, you can control your gender. Uh, so I don't know which way the court's going to go. The bottom line is, yeah, I think it's racism. I think it had to do with the fact she was black. This is Alabama, too. You know, you think that has anything to do with it? All right, coming up, uh, the Castro rule. It's over. No more Castro in Cuba. KFI AM 640. KFI Handle here. It is a Thursday morning. Uh, Big stories that we're covering uh, this morning. Uh, the Southwest uh, airplane, that 737 where the uh, engine exploded, killing a woman. The NTSB has come out with an initial preliminary finding, or at least a uh, preliminary sort of suspicion that it was uh, one of the turbine blades. No, no surprise there. Uh, Michael Cohen dropped his lawsuit against BuzzFeed, uh, his defamation suit. So uh, obviously a lot going on. Now, uh, international news, uh, big news. Uh, for the first time, a Castro is not going to run Cuba, at least since the revolution. Raul Castro took over from his brother Fidel Castro, of course, who led the revolution 12 years ago, Fidel Castro having already died. And uh, Raul Castro is no youngster, and so he has handpicked his successor, uh, Miguel Diaz-Canal Bermudez who happens to be a, a Communist Party loyalist. And he is uh, running, incidentally, for president. And he happens to be uh, the only candidate who is running, so he probably has it, to replace Castro. And, of course, uh, that's going to happen. His selection by the Communist Party is a given. Now, it's not going to be... The power that he has is going to be somewhat limited for a couple of reasons. First of all, the uh, chair of the Communist Party is still going to be Raul Castro's job. And the chair of the party, and this also happens in Russia during the communist era, uh, in other countries, the communist countries during that era, is that the Communist Party had has more power than uh, any sitting president or premier. That's where the pre- real power lies, is the party itself. And there can't be other parties. I love they call them parties. How about dictatorships? So you have uh, Miguel Bermudez, uh, who is going, it's going to happen pretty quickly. And uh, his path has been forecast for years. He's been the heir apparent for years. He's a vice president. He's a former provincial leader. And even though there's a ton of vice presidents in Cuba, uh, he's become the most important of all the vice presidents that have been around. And the reason that he is picked or has been picked 
is because of how moderate he is. How he's not going to shake the boat very much. And uh, no one knows who he is on the American side. Uh, Even people who have been in the United States Embassy in Havana for a period of time have no idea who he is. Uh, Maybe a few passing words. He doesn't hang out parties. He's not at uh, the diplomatic receptions. uh, Any of that. So uh, this is an open book. Although, if you look at the way Cuba was going, uh, it was, it's almost as if you could uh, foreseen this was going to happen. And there are a couple limitations that are going on. Uh, first of all, under Raul Castro, uh, the economy was growing because of uh, the fact that the market system was being introduced. Capitalism was being introduced. And money was really being made. They've slowed that down because it's breaking into wealthy versus non-wealthy people. And one of the things about uh, Cuba is that it was a homogeneous, homogeneous financial platform where everybody was about the same, except for the very few party leaders. They didn't make money, but they got the limousines. They got the great houses. They're, they're, that's, it's always that way in communist regimes. But everybody else sort of, eh, until they started opening up capitalism. And now you started getting very wealthy people. And as they opened it up, people became richer and richer, and the disparity is unbelievable. The disparity has always been there anyway because there's two kinds of currency in uh, Cuba. There's the official currency and there's the black market currency. And there's the dollar stores where uh, foreigners who come there buy with real dollars, hard currency. Not pesos, which are useless. And so they're slowing that down. And also, he's really limited in his power. Why is that? Well, because uh, Trump is reversing what Obama did. And that is opening up Cuba. We're, we still have diplomatic relations, but uh, it's nowhere near it was under the Obama era. So everything is slowed down, and you've got a guy who's not going to change things very much. So you're not going to see a real explosion in Cuba coming probably until uh, a Democratic president is elected. All right. Coming up, exorcism. You want to know how to exercise? And I'm not talking about the exercise you do on a treadmill. I'm talking about getting rid of you-know-who. Beezlebub. Beezlebub, Beezlebub, Beezlebub. Oh, I'm gone. KFI AM 640. here on a uh, Thursday morning uh, some of the big stories that we're covering uh, and you're going to be hearing more about this today is uh, that 737 uh, engine exploded uh, near Philadelphia and uh, the preliminary preliminary statement from the NTSB it looks like one of the fan blades failed uh, due to uh, metal fatigue uh, also are we going to know today whether the president is going to fire Mueller and uh, Rosenstein uh, so I don't know Okay, now, oh, God, this is so much fun. I've been waiting for this all morning long. It's time for the annual exorcism course being taught at Cal State Northridge. No, no, it's not. Uh, It's being taught at the Vatican. Now, there is a a prerequisite to take the exorcism course, 
This is like uh, before you can take advanced calculus, you have to take, uh, you know, calculus 101. And this is you've got to be a priest. It's that's a prerequisite. So about 250 priests from 50 different countries have arrived in Rome to learn, number one, how to identify demonic possession, to hear personal accounts from other priests, and to find out more about the actual rituals behind expelling demons, because there's you have to do it in a certain way. Uh, the course starts with a viewing of The Exorcist that everybody has to watch. Max von Sydow, okay, Linda Blair, you know, turning her head around. It's very important. You know, green bile flying out. Uh, they will not be serving uh, healthy spinach uh, shakes. That won't be happening. It's a week-long course described as the only international series of lectures of its kind. Incidentally, this is real stuff. As crazy as this sounds, this is absolutely for real. As the Pope would say, this is the Emmis. This is the truth. All right. It's entitled Exorcism and the Prayer of Liberation. Uh, it started in 2005. The number of priests who are attending this every year has doubled over the last 10 years. And there is a fee. It's a one-unit course, and it costs $370 per unit. Okay, And I, don't, I think you're giving credit for this for uh, your continuing education of the priesthood. I have to take continuing education of the bar in order to stay a lawyer. They have to continue with classes. Uh, every year to maintain their priest priestiosity. It covers the theological, psychological, anthropological background to exorcisms. Last year, Pope Francis told the uh, priests they must not hesitate to refer parishioners to exorcists if they suffer from genuine spiritual disturbances. I look at this and, uh, okay, really? Half a million people in Italy every year looking for exorcists. The practice is rising in the UK. A lot of it they're saying because of the Pentecostal churches. Some dioceses, some dioceses have developed their own courses to meet the growing demand. Sicily, uh, city of Chicago. Now, a disclaimer here from the church. Few cases actually require a major exorcism. There are minor exorcisms, it's like a venal sin. Uh, or a minor sin. There are major exorcisms and there are minor exorcisms. The major exorcisms can only be carried out by a priest with a bishop's approval. And uh, in an interview with Father Thomas out of the uh, uh, Vatican, uh, he has seen 180 cases. And he's carried out a dozen major exorcisms himself. And what happens? Specific prayers an invocation for the demon to leave the body of the possessed in Jesus' name. In 1990, the uh, church actually carried its first major update. Last time they updated their exorcism uh, procedures was 1614. So like every 400 years, they have to go for it. So Father Thomas works with a team of doctors, psychologists, and psychiatrists, all practicing Catholics. Really? I mean, there aren't too many Buddhists, for example, that believe in exorcism. And they have to rule out 
any other cause for the person suffering before diagnosing demonic possession. And then the priest tries a series of deliverance prayers. And the major exorcism only takes place as a last resort. It's it's a lot like back surgery. As a last resort, you do this. So if you go to uh, catholic.org, they actually have... Oh, that's what it says. Okay, first of all, the priest must wear a type of embroidered, embroidered white tunic called a surplus. You'd think they would use a new one, wouldn't you? Uh, but no, I guess they don't. And alongside a purple stole. That's a, not going to go into that. And the person who's possessed may actually be bound, literally tied up. Linda Blair turning her head. Holy water should be used. And the priest makes a sign of the cross on the person several times throughout. And the priest calls on saints and prays and reads excerpts from the Bible. And then uh, he asks Jesus to drive out the demons from the person in front of him. And in Jesus' name, he asks the demon to yield to God and depart as many times as necessary. And once the priest is convinced the exorcism has worked, I guess he flies through the window and ends up dead at the bottom of the stairway. Uh, I don't quite understand how that works. And he prays to God to prevent the evil spirit from bothering the afflicted person further. Out, out, out it goes. And, you know, I don't know. To be honest, I have my doubts here just a little bit. I was talking to John, our Catholic altar boy over there. Oh, no, this is real. Confirmed cases. Confirmed by whom? Well, no, no, this is scientifically correct. Really? What scientists? And and I was just talking to Michelle, who believes this also. I mean, go figure. Uh, well, well, how many? With 40% of Americans believe in ghosts and poltergeists and that sort of stuff, too. And it is fascinating. Uh, and... I truly don't understand it. Oh, I have a question to ask you. Uh, and this is uh, you Catholic folks. Uh, Alex, you're Catholic, right? Kind of. Have. Kind of. Uh, yeah. And the question is, when they talk about demons going out of someone's possessed body, is that the devil personally or is that the devil's agent? Is the demon the guy? Is it Beezlebub? Or is it one of his lieutenants? And I don't know the answer to that. Real class. 250 priests, 370 bucks to apply, one unit course taught at the Vatican. Gary. Do they have a welding class at the Vatican? Uh, that's next door. It is? Yeah. Okay. That's next door. Just check. Uh, just, I'd be crazy. What did you eat over here? What's the... Oh, what do you mean? You got an empty plate in front of you over here. What's this? Oh, yeah, that was my bagel. I had my bagel. Okay, real Catholic bagel. Bagel, I might add. Okay. (laughs) So it was a communion wafer. It was was a big wafer. Okay. It was with a little cream cheese on it, uh, like you you do at uh, the fun Catholic churches. So the body of Christ and the cream cheese of Christ? Yes. Go figure. All right. What's going on? Gary, Gary, what is going Uh, on today? The update on the Southwest Airlines flight, the FAA has now ordered inspections on that specific type of engine made by this... uh, uh, American French Cooperative. We'll also talk. Justin Warsham is going to come in, hosted the Dad Podcast. We'll talk about kids and screen time and why uh, parents and teachers may have some differing opinions about 
how much is too much. The president says he might meet with uh, Kim Jong-un now. Might. He's keeping open the possibility of bailing if he needs to. And then strange science and tech talk and all kinds of fun stuff. So it's a lot of show today. Also, I'm taking phone calls. I handle on the law. Marginal legal advice. I'm doing it off the air starting in just a moment for an hour. So if you'd like uh, to ask a phone caller or ask a question or two and get marginal legal advice, the phone number is 877-520-1150. 877-520-1150. Coming up. Gary and Shannon, have a good show, Gary. Thank you, sir. KFI AM 640.